This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Injetta. Oh, which I love. I love so much. Yes. Oh, Oh, Ethiopian. We are so lucky here in Atlanta to have a number of amazing Ethiopian restaurants. And I get such a craving for just that like slightly tartness and the and yeah. the slight tartness and the and the sponginess. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Soaks up fa- flavors so well. So when you suggested this, it was one where I was like, okay, I have to get Ethiopian food. <laughs> I know I'm gonna give in to the craving. And so I did. I already got some. I still have some in my refrigerator. I can still taste the injera oh. in my mouth because I had some for lunch. Um and it was delightful. And I was very happy about it, even if I did have to give the delivery driver directions like I was defusing a bomb because he said his GPS couldn't work. Oh. I was like, well, we're going to figure this out together because I need this <laughs> Ethiopian food. <laughs> it's very, very important to me right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Gosh, so good. I remember the first time I had it, it was soon after I moved to Atlanta. So I was in college and I was just trying all the, like I've said before, I was like, I got to try all these foods I didn't have access to before. And I immediately was like, I am so sad. This has not been in my life. <laughs> this yeah. is so good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I So many, so many types of, oh, just all of it, all of it. And I, I got to go to New Orleans last year, and we went to a really amazing Ethiopian restaurant while we were there. Oh, man. I, I have not I have not ordered <laughs> any of this since we started doing the reading for this episode. And now I'm like, oops, okay, I guess I need to go do that. <laughs> 
Oh, I knew. Like, it was one of the few topics. I often get the cravings, but I tell myself I won't. This is one of the few where I was like, nope, okay. You're like, no. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to have to get this. Yeah. I'm going to have to get this. Um, <laughs> was there any particular reason it was on your mind? Uh, no, not, not, not in particular. I was just kind of, uh, again, uh, been going through like, okay, like, like what's like a, like a region that we haven't really visited in a while. Um, and it had been a minute since we had done a type of bread, uh, Mm -hmm. product. And so, yeah, here we are in Jeddah. Well, I'm very happy about it. And I did want to include this quote right at the top, um, for reasons that will become very apparent and you're, you're going to be like, oh, that's Annie. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Here's a quote from an Insider article about Injera, uh, and the quote is from Rania Sheik. Uh, Sometimes in Ethiopian culture, people would, like, pick up a little bit of food in their hands, and they would feed it to someone else. And it's called Gersha, but it's a sign of love and respect. You do this to someone you love. Okay. That's amazing, first of all. That's a very yes. sweet cultural note. Also, I have read a fan fiction about this, and I'm very <laughs> glad to confirm it. Like, literally <laughs> this. Literally Ethiopian wow. food. Wow. And I was like... I'm so happy to know that that's an actual thing. That that is an actual thing. <laughs> well, I love it. That is possibly the nerdiest yep. <laughs> culture note. Uh-huh. I I knew it, and I was like, I have to include it. But still applicable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was a very cute fan fiction. I have to say. I I am sure it was. I'm sure it was an absolute cinnamon roll. Of oh, a situation. It was. It was okay. so cute. Um, well, well <laughs> on that note, mm-hmm. I guess this brings us to our question. I guess it does. <laughs> In Jana, what is it? Well, uh, injera is a type of staple sourdough flatbread cooked up in big, thin rounds with a sort of soft, chewy, spongy texture. The flavor a little sweet and nutty from the grains and tart from the, the, the sourdoughness, the, the fermentation. In cultures that incorporate it, it is a central part of meals. Uh, it's what you use to scoop up and eat bites of various dishes with and sometimes what you serve those dishes on. Uh, like any staple grain, it, it's complementing the flavors and the textures of the dishes that it's served with and also providing structure and a little bit of sauce soppage. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's like a it's like a savory single-sided pancake with lots of nooks and crannies, uh, like a like a tart spongy crepe that you get to eat all the time, which sort of makes it the best crepe. Oh, gosh. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I love how so many people described it as like a a tablecloth. Yeah. Like you put the food on it. You put the food on it. The food. Yeah. And, you eat the and then you eat it. The end. Oh, I mean, perfect. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> mm. The type of grain in Jeddah is made with traditionally is tough, uh, which a whole whole other episode. Yeah. But basically, tough is the, the seed of a type of cereal grass. The seeds are small, uh, uh, like a tiny version of millet or quinoa. And For our purposes today, yeah, they can be ground down into a fine flour. It's uh, gluten-free. It can be expensive or otherwise difficult to get a hold of for a number of reasons. Uh, It's labor-intensive. Yields are relatively low. There's a bunch of political reasons we're going to get into in the history section. Um, So when all tough flour cannot be used for injera, other grains like millet, barley, sorghum, wheat, corn, or rice might be incorporated. 
The ingredients for injera are just flour, water, and a starter culture, uh, traditionally skimmed off of your last batch of injera batter. The starter is called ursho. And okay, so to make your batter, you, you mix your ingredients and let it sit for a day or three to undergo fermentation. And during this phase, the, the friendly bacteria and yeasts in the ursho eat some of the starches in the flour and poop uh, carbon dioxide and flavor. Uh, bacteria and yeast food. Double poop. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, those, those friendly microbes are also serving to break down some of the starches in the flour. And there's a bunch of research into the strains of friendly bacteria and yeasts that are common in our show. Um, like way too much to go into here. Um, but definitely lactic acid bacteria are at work. They're the same sort of critters that give uh, yogurt and sourdough bread and various sour beers their flavor. Yeah. Okay. Once the Ursho has had time to work, you take a step that really helps develop the texture of your final product. You, you take a small portion of your batter, maybe like one-tenth of it, and you gelatinize it by briefly cooking it in water. Um, what this looks like is taking your portion of batter and adding it to simmering water, whisking it to incorporate, and then bringing it to a boil. Okay, so gelatinization. Um, as we have talked about before on the show, gelatinization of starches makes them puffy and chewy by, by loosening and hydrating them. Uh, so, so, um, so some starch molecules tend to form these tight chains, right? And when you apply heat, the bonds between those molecules start to weaken. And if you've introduced water molecules into the mix, the starch molecules will glom on to those water molecules. So, so the whole matrix of starch molecules swells. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so neat. Yeah. And I love that in order to, to make these notes, I, I looked back on my notes for oatmeal and French fries. Of course. <laughs> Obviously. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. huh. All right. So you've you've gelatinized a little bit of your of your batter. Um, and that gelatinized bit is called absit. I I think I oh I I watched a bunch of videos about how it's made, and I'm not totally positive that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but uh, A-B-S-I-T, yes. Uh, you take that, you cool it down a little, and add it back into the main batter. Then leave the batter for at least a, a, another couple hours to rise. And it, it'll rise because those friendly yeasts eat some of the sugars that were released during the gelatinization process and give off more carbon dioxide, which gets trapped in the batter uh, as, as, as air bubbles. Circle of injera. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, so you've got your batter. Time to cook. Uh, injera is cooked on, on a round, flat griddle, uh, traditionally clay over a fire stove, but these days there are electric options. Uh, so, so you pour the batter in a thin layer over the, the hot, uh, greased or nonstick surface, and it'll firm up as it cooks, with those bubbles creating a spongy upper surface full of uh, those nooks and crannies, or eyes. The bottom surface will be smooth, and then when it's done, you might store the finished flatbread in a basket packed in layers for a few days or until you're ready to eat. 
and it is served with all kinds of stews and salads. Uh, injera is most common in what's now Ethiopia and Eritrea, but it and related families of breads are eaten in, uh, in the surrounding areas of East Africa as well, and now in the diaspora where those peoples have immigrated. Yes, 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 yes. Um, well, what about the nutrition? Uh, it depends on what grains you use. And I mean, remember that grain is a natural product that varies in its molecular composition by variety and growing conditions and even by the individual plant. But generally, uh, teff is a pretty nutritious grain with a really great punch of protein and a good smattering of minerals and other micronutrients um, in, ad in addition to dietary fiber. And... Uh, the, the lacto-fermentation process that's used to make tough flour into injera actually helps make a bunch of the micronutrients in tough more bioavailable. Um, humans are so cool. I, I love this. I love the number of episodes that we've done where specifically with staple grains, people have figured out, like, it's not just a taste preference. It's not just a texture preference. People designed these cooking methods because they figured out that doing it made them feel better. <laughs> yeah. Made them more productive, made them healthier uh, mm -hmm. when they treated the grains like this. So cool. Yeah, that's <sighs> humans. Cool. Humans are great. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So at any rate, um, Injera will help fill you up and keep you going a little bit, but you definitely want to pair it with uh, some fat and protein and, you know, eat a vegetable. Always eat a vegetable. Mm -hmm. And that is often how injera is eaten because you use it oh, sure. to scoop up yeah. those things. Absolutely. Uh, we do have some numbers for you. Uh-huh. So Ethiopian Airlines, in times, generally when times are fine, uh, flies in a shipment of injera daily from Ethiopia to D.C., um, which is mm -hmm. pretty wild to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Getting it outside of Ethiopia can be a little bit difficult, um, partially because 90% of the world's supply of tuff is grown in Ethiopia. Um, global interest in the grain sparked in the early 2000s, which created supply issues that led to a ban on exporting the grain, which in turn created an export market for injera. Um, there was a 270% increase in injera exports from Ethiopia between 2008 and 2012. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As of 2019, 14 companies were exporting injera to the United States, Europe, and the Arabian Peninsula to the tune of $11 million a year. Uh, major companies are making like 10,000 injera a day for export. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, okay, okay. One more, one more thing about the friendly microbes. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, one study that was published in 2013 took uh, 34 different samples of injera batter and analyzed their microbial content. They found 107 different strains of lactic acid bacteria and 68 different strains of yeasts. There, there was no one strain of any of those that was found in over 50% of the samples. So just a really wild mixture. Pun intended. Uh, yes. Love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, one more number for you. Uh, the injera uh, storage basket that I mentioned um, called Ogasha Misab, I think, uh, has also traditionally been used as a serving table and is such a cultural symbol of Ethiopia that it appears on their uh, tenber note. Oh. Yeah. Very, very cool. Okay. Uh, well, Injera has a long history of how it got to this place. <laughs> it does. Goodness. And we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So... Injera is thousands of years old, um, mm-hmm. and it most likely originated in what is now Ethiopia and Eritrea. Um, tuff, the grain that acts as a basis for injera, is one of the oldest heritage grains uh, domesticated as far back as 4000 BCE, or perhaps it was domesticated at least 2000 years ago, but it has been grown in that region for thousands of years longer. There are a lot of conflicting dates, but mm-hmm. old. And also, as Lauren said, future episode its own thing for sure. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So cool. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's it's been around for a long time in Ethiopia. Um, historians think that because the rainfall needed to grow tough in Ethiopia and Eritrea was not at all guaranteed. In the early days, products that included tough, like injera, were probably expensive and seen as somewhat of a luxury. Uh, there are stories and legends around injera in Ethiopia that suggest it goes back to 100 BCE, but those kind of seem more like, you know, legend almost, or like, ooh, yeah, yeah. tell of when it was discovered at this time instead of, like, concrete evidence. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And speaking of concrete evidence, the oldest concrete archaeological evidence that we have of Ndera in this area are mitads, um, which were, they're the traditional flat plates used for cooking Ndera. Mm-hmm. Um, and this evidence dates back to 600 CE, um, and they were discovered during an excavation of Aksum, which is an ancient city in that region. And I don't have a data point on this, but it seems that making Ndera has long been considered women's work, uh, part of the domestic sphere. Yes. Um, I saw that as well. And I also saw a lot of things that suggested the bread is vegan due to the religious beliefs many Ethiopians held and continue to hold. But I couldn't find super concrete evidence of that either. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, during Italy's brief occupation of Ethiopia in the 1930s, uh, they introduced spaghetti bolognese uh, which Ethiopians, of course, ate with injera. And it's a dish you can find to this day. In fact, when I ordered Ethiopian food on Friday, last Friday, I saw it on the menu. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that was uh, like a like a Ethiopian bolognese situation is one of the recipes that, um, that Hawa Hassan talked with us about um, when we talked with her about her book In Bibi's Kitchen, which is an exploration of like grandmama recipes from uh, East Africa. Yeah. And it's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I With that spice blend. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I highly recommend it. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. So because this is a food show, this part's going to be very condensed. But. Oh, yeah. But for our purposes, uh, one of the first substantial waves of Ethiopian immigration to the U.S. took place in the 70s after the 1974 Marxist coup in Ethiopia. So, yeah, very, very, very basically, um, political unrest between Ethiopia and Eritrea led to Eritrea being annexed and then tensions and violence between the two rows. In 1974, a Marxist military group launched a coup that ousted Ethiopia's emperor, precipitating this wave of Ethiopians to the U.S. who were fleeing this whole situation. Mm -hmm. Um, As we frequently discussed, of course, when people move to a new place, 
They want to take pieces of their home with them, including foods. It's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. However, when Ethiopians arrived to the U.S., uh, they had to get creative in the absence of ingredients like tuff. Um, some used prepackaged pancake mixes in order to make the closest approximation they could mm-hmm. to injera. Um, you can find a lot of very interesting interviews about this. Um, yeah. Ethiopian restaurants started opening in U.S. cities, introducing Americans to Ethiopian cuisine on a larger scale. Other waves of immigration around things like the Refugee Act and the Diversity Act took place in the 80s and 90s. Uh, And this is also kind of a bigger story than this episode, but we're going to get into it a little bit. One of the first known instances of commercial tough production in the U.S. took place in Idaho in 1984, and it kind of became a whole thing um, based on this. Okay, so thanks to increasing desires for gluten-free and vegetarian slash vegan foods, Ethiopian food and injera and tough specifically have seen growing popularity in the U.S. and other Western countries. In fact, in 2003, the Ethiopian Institute of Biodiversity Conservation sent Dutch agronomist Jans Rusian, and I hope I got that correctly, <laughs> correctly correct. I hope I got, I hope I did something right in there somewhere. <laughs> um, they sent him 12 different types of tuff for research. Um, Rusian's company Health and Performance Food International, or HPFI, obtained a patent in 2007 for Tuff from the European Patent Office. His company did go bankrupt, but that didn't stop him from continuing to market and sell his product. In 2019, Rusian sued another Dutch company for selling Tuff products, declaring that they were infringing on his patent, but it backfired and his patent was declared void within the Netherlands. Um, So when the time for appeal passed... Uh, many Ethiopians took to social media to celebrate with one diplomat tweeting, I hope we can learn from this that our national assets must be protected by Ethiopians and friends of Ethiopia. But still, the fight wasn't over. In some parts of Europe, the patent was still in place, leading Ethiopia's attorney general to tweet, Ethiopia has already deployed a law firm to fight the tough case internationally. According to those who study things like this, the Dutch patent deprived millions of Ethiopian farmers of their rights. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, some have noted that locals in Ethiopia had no idea that this was going on at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, On top of this, Western companies have set up in Ethiopia and neighboring areas to control the production and export of tough and tough products, making it impossible for many farmers and locals to supply themselves or afford these products. And to further illustrate how infuriating this is, as part of food aid programs, the U.S. sometimes sends tough products right back to tough farmers in wow. Ethiopia. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as one way to combat this, Ethiopia's government has experimented with banning the export of tough when production is low. Um, and that seems to be somewhat effective, but still not quite the situ- the solution that we're looking for, or that they're yeah. looking for. Um, and then I did want to mention this because I saw a lot of articles about it. Um, American cities with large Ethiopian populations like Washington, D.C. have seen a plethora of restaurants and products like Indiana Crisp uh, and financial success in terms of homesick Ethiopians providing products like Fresh Indiana. Uh, and Washington, D.C. comes up a lot. There are a lot of articles you can find about it that are well worth reading. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
but I'm excited. I think a Jarrett crisp sound great. So. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like take that I'm flavor and make it crispy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, as always, if we have any listeners who are from that area, have more knowledge or anything, uh, let us know because uh, this is all we have to say about it for now. Yeah. Uh, yes, we we do have some listener mail from folks who have already written in, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of times you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with like a big warm hug. Mm. Yeah. Oh, like 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 wrapping yourself up like a like a burrito. An indetta. <laughs> but an indetta burrito. Yes. Yeah. I bet that exists. Oh, oh. I bet that exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. The cravings. The cravings. I cannot wait to eat my leftovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a listener, Julia, who is binging our episodes right now and has written us quite a few emails, lengthy emails, which we really enjoy. Oh, uh, yeah. So you'll be hearing some from Julia over these next few episodes. But this one is uh, got a lot of topics we got to go over, so we're just going to read it yeah, from sure. Julia. Uh, I'm very, very excited. And thank you and hello, Julia. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So Julia wrote... I have been catching up on the show. I wrote in once years ago after the Goblin Market episode, and at the time I worked in the gelato industry. I now work in the specialty coffee industry with a company called Dancing Goats Coffee. They have several espresso bars around Atlanta, including one at Pond City Market. If you're looking for a great shot of espresso, I can't recommend them enough. <laughs> if y'all are interested, I can reach out to the roastery team and see about getting you a tour. Ooh. Mm. Our, our East Coast roastery is located in Atlanta, and visiting is a great experience. Onwards to more shows. These are in no particular order. <laughs> horseradish. Growing up in a Jewish household, my earliest memories of eating horseradish should have been the Passover Seder, but instead it was the cocktail sauce. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Growing up in Florida, my earliest memories of the spicy speckles came from eating fried clam strips dipped in adult ketchup, a.k.a. cocktail sauce. I've always liked spicy foods and asked for extra spicy speckles. <laughs> my parents eventually explained to me that the weird-looking root I won't eat at Seder was what they made the spicy speckles out of, and I began to ask for it for my own bowl during the meal. It's an excellent condiment on a haraset and matzah sandwich. I have also recently discovered Alabama white sauce. This keto-friendly barbecue sauce is mayo-based with horseradish and other spices. Uh, the Duke's mayonnaise brand version is very good. Hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Cloudberry. I once visited Alaska in October. My family hired a guide who was a native and he took us to the medical center for the Alaskan Native tribes. We specifically went to see all the amazing artwork there. It's full of museum-like displays throughout the facility. After we were done inside, I was able to buy some traditionally prepared salmon jerky, and as we walked to our car in a bog by the parking lot were several bushes covered in berries. Our guide said to try one, and that cloudberries were a local delicacy. Unfortunately, while he called them cloudberries, he said they were a type of raspberry, and while they proved exceptionally delicious, I didn't realize what a special treat this was until listening to your episode and realizing how uniquely wonderful they are. That is how I accidentally ate one of y'all's bucket list foods. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
M&M's. This is possibly my favorite candy. While I liked peanut M&M's as a child, with new flavor options, the peanut butter now reigns supreme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I personally like to make my own M&M snack mix with the peanut butter 50%, caramel 25%, and either crispy cookie or pretzel for the last 25%. Mm, This, to me, is the height of M&M luxury. (laughs) And if I was a movie star, that would be in my writer. (laughs) The chewy caramel and crunchy pretzel or cookie are great textures to the smooth, creamy peanut M&M experience. <laughs> I'm assuming you meant peanut butter, but either way. Yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, the candy shell isn't as effective in Florida, where the ambient humidity makes your hand into a mouth from the candy <laughs> coating's perspective. <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. Frog legs. I have always been a fan of frog legs, but they are often hard to find at restaurants. One day I went to a Chinese buffet that featured them and went a little bit nuts. I kept going up and refilling my plate whenever they replenished the buffet, and by the end of the meal, my bone plate had an almost foot-tall stack of frog <laughs> leg bones. It was delicious, yet oddly enough, I haven't had them since then. I think I'm going to need to hop around town to find a place that uh. serves them. <laughs> Duck. In my mid-20s. I realized I was allergic to turkey. Oh, no. So now I always make duck for Thanksgiving. I typically score the duck breast before rubbing it with olive oil and herbs de Provence. I then stuff the duck with orange and onion quarters, as well as fresh herbs before trussing it to seal the stuffing in. I smoke the duck at 275 until it reaches an internal temp of 150. Usually I stick with apple or hickory chips. Once the duck comes out of the smoker, I brush it with reduced cranberry juice and roll it in the oven until it gets deep mahogany color and then the skin crisp. The flavor is unique because the sealed chest cavity gets little to no smoke inside and has a very traditional European roast duck flavor. The outside has a beautiful smoky flavor cut by the bright cranberry glaze. A duck breast will literally taste like it was cooked differently on each side. Hmm. I usually make a cranberry orange mustard sauce to accompany the duck. I use horseradish in a side portion of the sauce to make a spicy option. This is always a hit, and I think it's well worth the time it takes. Oh, my goodness. That sounds amazing. That sounds so good. What? Heck. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So I guess this is our intermission in the, the mail. Um, I would say, <laughs> I yeah, that duck sounds so, so good. Multiple of you have written in about frog legs at Chinese buffets. So next time I go to one, I'm going to keep an eye out because I don't think I've ever noticed that before. Yeah, um, but maybe I just wasn't paying attention. So right. yeah, oh, exactly. good. I haven't been to a good buffet situation since the pandemic. I know exactly. The buffet was sort of the the first to go. Yeah, <laughs> no, we probably yeah. shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Oh, but that's wonderful. Uh, I I respect your strong M and M's opinions. Yes, I love that you got like a mix. Like it's like a trail yeah. mix, but with only M and M's, only different types of M and M's. I love that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad that you accidentally ate a cloudberry. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm glad we could give you some like, I don't know if more appreciation is the right word, but, you know, more context for the amazing thing you got to try that we still have not tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, horseradish. I agree with you that I actually I, I don't know if I really uh, had a lot of uh, cocktail sauce experience growing up, but I for sure remember liking cocktail sauce before I ever used any of the grated horseradish at the Passover table. Mm. Long before. Yeah. yeah. I also thought like 
cocktail sauce. I mean, we should do an episode on that because I thought it was adult sauce as well. <laughs> oh, it's a cocktail. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's will it get fancy. you drunk? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh. Huh. Exactly. Mm. Um, I I also do, and I hope I'm not being unkind, but but Annie, it was very sweet. Your utter panic uh, confronted with the word carset. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> It's, you, you guided me through. You laughed at me for a minute, but then you guided me through it. <laughs> um, that's that's just the stuff. It's usually it can be made with a number of things, but it um it, it on the seder plate it represents uh, mortar usually, um, and ah. it's like a like an apple walnut cinnamon Ooh. kind of kind of uh, stuff. Situation. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, almost like a almost like a salsa in texture. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for getting me through. Um. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> um, and dancing goats, yeah. What a what a lovely local company they are. Yes, and I we're into this tour idea. Oh yeah. Yes, I I to be honest, cupping makes me nervous, but I'll do it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's what it's going to be, but if I have to cup. We'll we'll see what happens, but I think it'll be okay. I it's it's really you judging the coffee, not the coffee judging you. I don't know, Lauren. I feel judged <laughs> by coffee frequently. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll all we'll mm-hmm. all get through it together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> oh, anytime, anytime. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Um. Uh. Uh. Julia continued. Szechuan peppercorns. Uh, Recently, I was on a bit of an Asian cuisine kick, and that prompted me to go to the local Asian market. I found a large container of imported Szechuan peppercorns and got so excited. I spent quite a while preparing a beautiful dish to highlight this unique spice and its interesting side effects. I love spicy foods, but my wife isn't a fan, uh, hasn't been, since I accidentally put a whole ghost pepper on her plate the first time I cooked for her. Oof. Oh, my heck. Ooh. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Julia continues, there is a lot of variability of Szechuan peppercorn intensity, and I imagine the brand I bought was renowned for its fiery intensity. My wife tapped out after two bites, but I bravely soldiered on, finishing my plate while dripping sweat. My tongue stayed numb for almost two hours afterward, and I vowed to never again cook with Szechuan myself. I've officially left that to the professionals. (laughs) Um... Sorbet and gelato. A note on Overrun. A sorbetto and gelato are both made in the same machines, but sorbetto always winds up with more Overrun due to its lighter liquid base texture being easier to incorporate air into during the freezing process. Original sorbet recipes used egg whites as a texturizer and stabilizer, think meringues, um, but modern gums have made this no longer necessary. At the gelato shop I managed, uh, the rise in popularity of plant-based diets actually resulted in an anti-sorbetto reactionary movement. Uh, No one cared that it was the OG plant-based dessert. They wanted plant-based gelato, and they wanted it now. The saddest day of my career there was when we had to pull the chocolate sorbetto. Uh, Imagine a semi-sweet chocolate chip sorbet, because the demand for new plant-based gelatos necessitated replacing it with a new vegan option. The fat content of gelato is a key component. Um, In the U.S., we have a dairy standard of 8% butterfat, which is what most gelato is in America. Ice creams tend to be 18% plus. 
Uh, interestingly enough, soft serve is only 5%. And if you do an ice cream episode, I think you should do a separate episode for soft serve and hard ice cream, as they are two very different products with different equipment options. In Italy, the most decadent gelato option is water buffalo milk. The buffalo have a higher fat content in their milk, usually between 10 and 12%, which allows them to sell this higher fat content gelato as an actual gelato, since they just use straight animal milk. <sighs> Continued, to get a great vegan gelato, you want to use oat milk. Uh, the starches and sugars in the oats do a great job mimicking milk. Unfortunately, those heart-healthy oats don't have any fat in them, and it's not gelato without fat. I found that a blend of vegetable shortening and grapeseed oil made a fantastic fat blend to make up for the fat that oat milk is missing. My first formulation was for oat milk cookie crumble, which used salt, cinnamon, and creme caramel flavoring to make the baked oatmeal cookie-flavored base. We toasted our own oats with molasses to act as mix-ins and decorations. You could actually do a whole episode on the different toppings and mix-ins used in frozen desserts, as there is a lot of food science that goes into them. Gelato machines. I've been fortunate enough to work on several gelato machines in my time. My all-time favorite was the 12-year-old uh, Frigomat, Frigomat? Uh, made by Taylor. The paddle assembly is metal in it with wearable blades, and it was a workhorse with an overpowered compressor that also had the advantage of being easy to clean. I did get to use one of the new, oh, I forget how we said this, uh, Carpigiani <laughs> machines that we discussed. Yeah, we discussed it. I, okay. Uh, I, they continue, and I have very mixed feelings on it. The computer system on it was interesting, though I found it didn't outperform the Frigomat on texture when the scrapers were fresh in the Frigomat and was much slower. Uh, when the shop needs 37 flavors of gelato made on a daily basis, only a Frigomat will do. Now I wish I had looked up the pronunciation on that brand, but I just didn't. <laughs> and I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Um... The three big downsides of this machine were the smaller compressor, which resulted in slower freezing, the paddle assembly, and worst of all, the fact that the machine would shut off and stop if you left it cold cycling too long. When the machine shuts off, it allows the batch to freeze to the sides, and it then has to set for a few hours to melt down enough to turn back on, and it wouldn't get nearly as good of a texture when you rerun that batch. The paddles are also plastic and very wide. Uh, the plastic is very thermally stable, so once they get cold for the day, they're very difficult to clean between batches. Um, and the width of the paddles makes it more likely that harder flavors, like nuts and chocolates, will freeze up in the middle and be unextractable. The actual scrapers were spring-loaded, which was great for lifespan, but a pain to be cleaned, since some of the base would wind up stuck in there. While the machine is a technological marvel, it's truly designed for a business that makes a few fresh pans a day, and doesn't have a person making the gelato that might be called away. Uh, Coldstone Creamery actually uses a Carpigiani, sure, Carpigiani gelato machines uh, running a different program for its ice cream. Uh, when I went for job training in Atlanta, I sampled the best-reviewed gelato spots, and having worked in the gelato industry at one of the best gelato companies, these are my recommendations. Cremasola was my absolute favorite, and I think it's well worth the drive. Voga in Inman Park is a close runner-up. Heck yeah. All right. I love We love local recommendations. This is great. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, okay. Cast iron and a bit of induction. 
When I moved in with my wife, I had to adapt to electric cooking. Up until that point, I always had a gas range. It was at this point I fell in love with cast iron as the heavy, thermally stable pans do a great job at mitigating the constant on-off heat elements on an electric stove. Hard agree. <laughs> um, uh, gas ranges control heat by adjusting the flame size and amount of heat constantly applied to the pan. Induction cooktops have a similar constant heat application controlled by the amount of electricity sent to the burner. Most electric stoves, on the other hand, have a heating element that's either on or off, and so they power cycle to maintain average cool surface temperature. Unfortunately, the element on cycle is known to burn delicate dishes when cooked in lightweight pans, and this is where cast iron really shines as it acts like an insulator to protect your food from the heating element. Oh, yes, I completely agree. 1,000%. Yes. Thank you. Um, then, also, if y'all ever have questions about coffee, um, especially Kyoto and cold brew or frozen desserts and the food science involved, feel free to reach out. I'll gladly spend an hour to discussing the miracle of sugar and salt and all the ways they make frozen desserts into the modern confections you know and love or any other related topics. Oh, Love it. I love yes. it. Yes. Oh. So much expertise. Oh, my gosh. You listeners right? are so cool. <laughs> I know. Oh, y'all got up to the best stuff. Mm. I'm like, we just read about this stuff. You're out there living it. That's so rad. Yes. Yes. We love it. We love it. Very much noted. We love hearing from, from all of you who are out there doing this stuff. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Julia. And yeah, I personally really enjoy when people are binging and we just get a bunch of messages <laughs> about a bunch of topics at once. And I'm like, yes, I because I, we kind of forget. I'm like, oh, yeah, we did do we did do that or we did do that. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. It's like a fun little blast from fast for us. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Like it's always like, like, oh, and another thing. And I'm like, yeah. Yes. Yes. Right? We we love it. So. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, Julia. Yes. Um, and listeners, if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. 
In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.